Welcome to the Bone Coach Show, dedicated to helping you understand all things related to diet, lifestyle, bone health, and how you can live and thrive with low bone density and osteoporosis. I'm your host, Kevin Ellis, certified health coach, health and wellness speaker, and above all else, your bone coach. After being diagnosed with osteoporosis in my early 30s, I transformed my health through diet and lifestyle and now help my clients and community members do the same through my online coaching practice, Bone Coach. Look, there are no quick and easy cures for low bone density, but the choices we make every single day can have a powerful impact on our bones, our health, and our general well-being. I'll share the research, interview the experts, and help you figure out how to get the conditions right in your body so you can better your bones through diet and lifestyle. Short disclaimer, I'm not a medical doctor, and this show should not be considered medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare team before making medical decisions and changes to your diet and lifestyle. With that being said, let's get on with the show. Is the person who has, say, let's let's just pick a score. Say their T-score is negative 1.7 in the osteopenia range, and they tripped um, on their kitchen floor over the broom that fell on the floor, and they fell and they broke, fractured, synonymous term, their hip. This is a clinical diagnosis of osteoporosis. Even though the bone density tests did not show osteoporosis, they absolutely have it. And it's based on the mechanism of injury. So if you break your hip or your spine from a low trauma fall and your bone density is osteopenia or normal, this means there's probably something going on with your bone quality, which is that microarchitecture that we cannot see with x-ray technology. We cannot see it with the naked eye. If you haven't done so already, especially if you're newly diagnosed with osteopenia or osteoporosis, or if your most recent bone density scan still showed more bone loss, go ahead and pause this episode and head over to bonecoach.com to sign up for your free seven-day osteoporosis kickstart guide. That's going to give you everything you need step by step by step over the next seven days to get on the path to improvement and stronger bones. You won't want to miss that. So pause this right now head over to bonecoach.com and I'll be here as soon as you get back. Welcome, welcome to this episode of the Bone Coach Show. Joining us today to explore why taking a functional approach to your health and osteoporosis is key is Laura Frontero. Laura Frontero is the founder and CEO of BioRadiant Health, creator of five online functional medicine health summits, and has served thousands of patients in the clinic and virtual setting as a nurse practitioner over the last 22 years. Her work in the health industry marries both traditional and functional medicine. Laura's online and virtual wellness programs help her high-performing clients bio-elevate their health by boosting energy, renewing mental focus, and feeling great in their bodies. In a word, she helps people thrive again. Her belief is that to create optimal wellness, first, we need to identify and clear the root causes of our health problems, usually toxins, chronic infections, and stress, then eliminate inflammation and restore gut and mitochondria health. Before switching to her functional medicine practice, she spent 15 years working in an osteoporosis clinic for the largest HMO in America. And that is why she is here today. Laura, I'm glad that you're here. Hi, Kevin. I'm so glad to be here. We've been meaning to do this for a long time. We finally did. I know. I know. So let's let's get into this and let's start with your background. Tell us about your background in, in Western medicine as a nurse practitioner, a clinical bone densitometrist in, in an osteoporosis clinic. 
Yeah, I started out uh, working in preventive medicine, did that for about seven years. That's where we do a lot of, you know, cancer screenings. Think about breast cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer, um, lots of screenings for diabetes, high cholesterol, heart disease, um, depression screening, all the chronic conditions that, you know, we like to prescribe a lot of drugs for. <laughs> so, um, so then I transitioned into an osteoporosis clinic. And in that clinic, I worked for about 15 years. I am a clinical densitometrist, which means I'm certified to read bone density. Um, and I, when I was in that environment, I ended up, you know, being lecturing faculty at the National Osteoporosis Foundation um, conference a couple times in a row and spent a long time studying, you know, the Western approach to treating osteoporosis and preventing fractures. And I feel like Thank goodness for that experience. I learned so much. Um, definitely, I helped a lot of people. I also probably over-prescribed drugs to a lot of people who didn't quite need them yet. Yeah. And can you walk us through maybe like, what is the Western approach to osteoporosis? Like from maybe even start to finish, what does that look like? Yeah. So from a Western approach, we want to start screening women at age 65, men at age 70. That's the kind of magical number that has been decided on by um, important organizations like the World Health Organization and the National Osteoporosis Foundation and the American College of Endocrinology and the International Society for Clinical Densitometry. So all these people come together and say, that's the age. And the reason that's the age is because that's when we see the risk of fracture go up. So why do we not screen women right at 50 from a Western perspective? Because it's less likely to break bones early on. Now there's some debate, like maybe we should do a baseline bone density and kind of get an idea. That's not really the case in the Western world. We don't do a baseline bone density. We wait till age 65. And the reason is because really the only thing Western medicine has to offer you at that point is a drug, is a medication. So there's really no discussion about prevention. If you're doing a bone density early on, you could use that opportunity to teach and talk about prevention and trying to do things naturally to re regain and repair bone. Uh, but that is the time frame when we do this. So once we've got a diagnosis of osteoporosis or a diagnosis of osteopenia with a high risk for fracture, and that is um, based on the World Health Organization's FRAX calculation, which is now, that software is now embedded into all bone density machines pretty much. So it spits out this kind of prediction, 10-year prediction of you breaking a bone. And if that risk is high or you have osteoporosis by T-score, then we're going to offer you a drug. And the most common drugs uh, prescribed are the bisphosphonates. Fosamax is the most common one that people would know about. That's alendronate, um, actinil, and um, that's the next most common one that we see, residronate, and then boniva, abandronate. And then there's the IV drugs, zolendronic acid, reclast. Um, and then there's a host of other drugs, but pretty much we're going to give you a drug and we're going to tell you to take calcium and D and walk. And that is pretty much the extent of it. And then we'll say, bye, see you in five years. Let's do a bone density in five years. It. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe do some fall prevention. If you've been falling, maybe work with a physical therapist or something to, to strengthen your muscles. And so now you've made this transition to the functional medicine world. Yeah. yeah. How have your eyes opened now that you're in and you've, you've, you're doing amazing work in, in the functional medicine space, helping all these people. How, how are things different now? Well, what's different now is that I'm focused on root cause of chronic health conditions and truly osteoporosis is um, from a functional medicine perspective, 
you know, multiple reasons that this happens. It could be a nutrient deficiency problem. Um, and when we, and when we think about an inflammatory problem, a nutrient deficiency problem, we think of these problems, we ought to think what's the root of that? Why is that happening? So then we need to look at gut health. We need to look at mitochondria health. We need to look at toxins in the body. So toxic metals, environmental toxins, mold toxins, um, you know, this myriad of toxins that dis that number one makes it hard for us to absorb our nutrients. And number two metals, for example, can displace nutrients in the bone are a lot of toxins are packed into our bones. So there's a lot more to bone health that we really miss in the Western world. I never knew anything about any of this when I was in a Western practice. I think now it's safe to say that gut health is at least being explored in almost every area of Western medicine but solid recommendations, you know, that are accepted and widely used in the Western world have yet to be um, established at this point. It's really all about prescribing drugs to reduce fractures and they do reduce fractures, but it's not without their risk. And so it, are there situations in your mind where maybe a medication is warranted, but it's yeah. not the go-to in all situations? Well, I think every every situation needs to be really addressed um, individually, every person individually. So an easy one is who should be on a medication, right? So who should be on a medication is probably the person who's already broken a, a hip. So the femur at the top end, and people always get confused, like, what is hip? I didn't break my hip, I broke my femur. So it is the same. We call it a hip fracture. Um, so if you've broken your hip from a low trauma fall, or you've broken a vertebrae from lifting, pulling, pushing, tugging, or falling a low trauma. And I mean, we could have a whole discussion about low trauma versus high trauma, but low trauma is falling from standing height or less. And that includes when you're walking your dog and they tug on the leash and pull you, or when you, um, get in, you're walking along in a crowd and somebody bumps into you and knocks you over, or, um, or you're just standing maybe you know, on the bottom step and fall off of it. And that's still a very low trauma uh, height, a low trauma fall. If you break one of those, you know, major bones, hip or spine, it's probably a good idea to think about being on medication because, you know, broken vertebrae are really problematic over time. If you break one, chances are you're going to break more. And by that time, if you're already fracturing those major bones, it's a long way back to improving bone health. But if you haven't fractured and you have osteoporosis by T-score, or if you haven't fractured and you have osteopenia with high fracs, maybe you, you can ex explore um, doing something different and alternatively to uh, improve your bone strength and then repeat a bone density test at a later time. So I think that's always a reasonable discussion to have with your provider. And it's not like if somebody's on a medication, it's like, that's the sole thing that they rely on, right? Because the medication is, it's not going to address the root causes. It's not, not going to address your gut health or your nutrient absorption. A lot of times it'll make nutrient absorption worse. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not going to address the stress, the sleep, the hormones, the exercise, all those other pieces uh, that are that are such an important part of this too. Absolutely. And, um, and I think for people who are not fracturing, who have low bone density, I think get curious, really explore what you can do to improve bone strength, because I'll tell you, I've seen it happen. I've seen people truly improve bone strength over years of lifestyle 
shifting and change. In fact, early on in my kind of eye opening into the functional medicine world, I had a had a patient who refused the treatment that I was recommending to her. So I was wanting to prescribe her a drug and she said, no, thank you. I'm going to go see what I can do on my own. And so she went off and I didn't see her for two years. And because that's usually the standard is bone density two years later, if you decline medication. Um, and so she came back and her bone density got better. And I, that is rare to see bone density getting better in the Western world. I would say it's more common for people who are really focusing on functional medicine and they're really working on their lifestyle and they're really working towards improving things. But in the Western world, most people are not focusing on lifestyle. They're, they're continuing to do the things they've always done. And just time is going by. They're still eating the inflammatory foods. They're still not sleeping. They're still stressed out. Um, they're still, their gut is still imbalanced. They're still full of toxins. They're not really changing anything. Time is going on and they come back and bone density is worse. So to see bone density get better is really eye-opening. And I asked her, I said, what are you doing? How did you get your bone density to get better? And she was doing the most simple things, Kevin. She said, well, you know, I decided to really overhaul my whole entire diet. I stopped eating seed oils. I stopped eating processed foods. I started eating organic and whole, uh, whole foods. I, you know, I started preparing foods on my own. I started exercising more. I started lifting weights instead of just walking. I started prioritizing my sleep. I, I worked with a functional doctor to work on my gut health. And I remember scratching my head going, what the heck is gut health? Why is that important? Like, why do you even care about your gut or your bones? So she came back and told me all these things. And it was this patient that really opened my eyes and got me exploring, well, what is this? It piqued my curiosity. That was kind of the beginning of my journey towards functional medicine is this person who improved her bone density. It was, it was wild. That's great. And, and we know that's possible. You can build bone strength. You can improve your bone density, your bone strength. And, you know, we see examples of this all the time, but a lot of times it's not as significant of changes in yeah. a shorter period of time as people think is actually yeah. possible. Like we have to manage expectations mm -hmm. and help people understand like, what's physiologically possible in a given time period. There are no quick fixes or magic bullets or any of that stuff. Can you maybe talk about, you know, what you see as realistic in given time periods or uh, in terms of improvements that could be made, or even just in your experience as a clinical densitometrist, you know, mm -hmm. what, what were you seeing in given time periods on these, mm -hmm. all these scans that you've seen? Yeah. So let's just take um, let's just take an osteoporosis T-score of negative 2.5. That's the threshold where we diagnose osteoporosis. And let's say somebody goes off and says, I'm going to, I'm going to go work on this. I'm going to go see what I can do with my lifestyle. I'm no thank you to medication. And I'll see you in two years. I'm going to repeat my bone density at that point. And let's say she comes back and her T-score is now a negative 2.3. So she only moved, she only moved the dial two tenths of a point, but that is significant that a negative 2.5 to a negative 2.3, you know, you have to do some measurements some calculations on the bone density, as long as the measurement is significant. So there is this measurement of significance called least significant change. As long as that mathematical equation lines up and we can see that this was a significant change, that would be that would be a lot actually. So what we're not going to see is a negative 2.5 to a negative 1.0 in 
two years time. So the reason I pick that number is because negative 1.0 is the threshold for normal. So anything negative 1.0 or higher, or you can think of it negative 1.0 or better is normal bone density. Negative 1.1 to negative 2.4 is osteopenia, or think of it like pre-osteoporosis. And then negative 2.5 or lower, or negative 2.5 or worse is osteoporosis. So we're not going to see a huge pendulum swing. If you do see something change that much, you got to think something's not right here. Something's not right here. And what would those not rights be? Well, it could be a lot of things. It could be technique. <laughs> it could be that the, the bone densitometrist did not position you well on the table. So that's a real thing. Um, and I think this is really important to talk about that the way you are laying on the table and the way your hips are adducted at internal, internally rotated and adducted is important. And this is a precision test. And as such, the positioning matters very much. And then the technician who's doing the test, they have to line everything up just so on the computer when they're doing this. And if they don't put the, they don't line everything up perfectly, you can end up with an ab, uh, um, an inaccurate reading. Also, if there's artifact, like things in your pockets or belly button rings obscuring the lower lumbar spine or- um, is, that a th- is that a thing, you know, in the 65, uh- 70 is it is okay all right we got hot hot mamas with belly button rings i get it all right for sure um so we definitely see that type of artifact will artificially improve bone density also a fracture will artificially improve bone density so especially we see this in the spine if you've had a compression fracture so and by the way fracture just means break fracture is the medical term break is the layman's term. And I think if I had a dollar for every time somebody said to me, I said, have you ever broken a bone? They say, no, no, no. I just fractured. If I had a dollar for every time somebody said that I could put my daughter through college three times. I'm not kidding. It's like, so I don't know where this misconception comes from. So this may be the most important thing that your listeners take out of this right now. Fracture and break are the same thing. There's different different grades of fractures or breaks. There's the kind of breaks or fractures where this where the bone goes right through the skin, you know, and then there's the type that are just a crack. So there's a crack fracture and there's a full compound fracture. I mean, there's different types of fractures. So anyway, compression fracture is a fracture of the spine where the vertebrae collapses. And when the vertebrae collapses, that actually artificially makes bone density look better. And if you have the soft tissues between vertebrae, if they compress, then this also artificially improves bone density. So you can't just take a number at face value on a bone density test. You have to look at the image and you have to look and see if the test was done correctly. And so something I would recommend to your viewers is when they're getting a bone density test, make sure the technician doing the test is ISCD certified, International Society of Clinical Densitometry. Make sure they have this certification because then you know that there's a fighting chance that they are going to take a good test. No, that's that's so important. And the other part of this too is, um, is the bone quality picture, right? We, yes. we understand bone density is, it's part of the picture. It's an important part of the picture. But there's mm-hmm. also bone quality, which is the structural integrity, the microarchitecture, and how that bone is organized. So when those yes. things combine, that's what's creating that bone strength. 
Now, I know not all machines have TBS, trabecular bone score capability, or the, the newer technology, REMS. Not all of them have that technology, but um, I think it's important to make sure when you're going in ahead of time to be asking these questions if these machines have these capabilities and if the people that are going to be doing the scans can actually accommodate you. Absolutely. And um, you don't have to be licensed by the ISCD to do a bone density test. I mean, I unfortunately, back in the 90s, when bone density tests first came on the scene, it was like late, late night, mid late 90s. There was this movement where doctors would bring bone density tests into their office and do and do these tests to increase revenue in their practice. And they were just training medical assistants to do the uh, test and they weren't using x-ray technicians or um, certified clinical um, ISCD certified technicians, excuse me. So that is a, that was a problem. And there was a lot of poorly done tests with inaccurate readings that really, in my opinion, resulted in a lot of unnecessary prescriptions. The other thing I will say, Kevin, is that I would say the majority of practitioners in the Western space do not know how to read a bone density accurately. That is unfortunate. Um, so in the organization that I worked in, um, the primary care doctors pretty much misinterpreted bone density 50 to 60% of the time. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and I would say too, um, you know, we're talking about quality of the scans, but maybe are there, are there other things that, um, that, that you would see contributing to errors in results other than fractures, other than positioning and interpretation, anything else that you, you think is important there? Well, there's all the whole question about strontium, right? So are people taking um, certain elements and substances that they think are going to improve bone density. And there's a big question about that. I mean, strontium is potentially um, heavier and more visible. It settles in bone and heavy and visible in the bone. So radio opaque. And so are we seeing a false improvement in bone density because something is settling in the bones that's not actually bone. That's not actually strengthening bone. Um, so that would be a big concern also. And I think this is where things like bone turnover markers also come into the picture as yeah. important tools that we can use yeah. to see what's actually going on inside the bones as near-term leading indicators versus just relying on bone density scans as lagging indicators later. Yeah. And on, on the bone quality, bone density discussion, I think this is a really important discussion to have because people can have osteoporosis with a normal bone density reading. So unfortunately, it's not a hundred percent accurate test to tell us about bone, about bone strength. So like you mentioned, bone density plus bone quality equals bone strength. And about a quarter of people with osteoporosis don't show it on a bone density test. So let me say that again. A quarter of people with bone density do not show it on a bone density test. And we don't know they have osteoporosis until they break a bone from a low trauma fall. So what I'm talking about is the person who has, say, let's, let's just pick a score. Say their T-score is negative 1.7 in the osteopenia range. And they tripped um, on their kitchen floor over the broom that fell on the floor 
and they fell and they broke, fractured, synonymous term, their hip. This is a clinical diagnosis of osteoporosis. Even though the bone density tests did not show osteoporosis, they absolutely have it. And it's based on the mechanism of injury. So if you break your hip or your spine from a low trauma fall and your bone density is osteopenia or normal, this means there's probably something going on with your bone quality, which is that microarchitecture that we cannot see with x-ray technology. We cannot see it with the naked eye. We would have to take a biopsy of your bone and look at it, look at it under a microscope to see what the microarchitecture is. So that is common. And with vertebral fractures, where people seem to have normal bone density, but they've got compressed vertebrae, something's going on with bone quality. I mean, we get into a discussion about what affects bone quality, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of uh, I mean, a lot of different things play into bone quality. Um, do you want to even touch on some of those things? I mean, obviously, we know age, genetics gender, those, those are things though, that you're not going to be able to like, you're not changing those things. Yes. You can influence your genetics, mm -hmm. um, to express themselves more favorably, but any other things that are important to note there? Yeah. So some medications can affect bone quality, right? Like prednisone. Let's talk about prednisone steroids. So you use the, the steroids and prednisone are used for a lot of different disease processes, lung problems, autoimmune disorders, and it's devastating to bone. It destroys the microarchitecture of bone. Um, chemotherapy affects bone quality. Smoking affects bone quality. Alcohol intake affects bone quality. So a lot of lifestyle things, anti-seizure medications. I mean, these things can all play a role in the quality of bone declining. And, I, and I'm going to say something super not popular right now, but um, veganism also plays a role in affecting the strength of bone. I've seen the worst bones, the, and this does affect more than just bone quality. This affects bone density tremendously. And some of the lowest bone densities I've ever seen have been in people who are vegan for extended period of time. I'm not talking about, oh, I'm going to, I went vegan for the last two years. I'm talking about people who've been vegan for 20 years. Um, and it's a head scratcher. It's like, what exactly is missing? It probably has something to do with quality of protein and collagen. Something is missing in the diet. Yeah. I, I mean, especially from a protein perspective too, if you're only eating plants, right? The total volume you need to consume to get the same, like the equivalent in terms of protein and amino acids and like quality protein from animal sources is significant right? It's mm -hmm. significant. And I know this ties into gut health too, which we can touch on yeah. in just and a there's minute. A, and there's a balance too, right, Kevin? Because too much meat, we also see an acidic and an acidic problem where we can lose bone from that too. So there is like, I know there's a lot of polarization about carnivore diet versus plant diet, like exclusive. I think both ends of the spectrum are not great. And I mean, I, I talked to a lot of scientists in my summit producing, you know, hobby, and I talked to a lot of mitochondria specialists and most cellular health specialists will agree that being polarized on one side or the other of the diet arena is where problems happen. That somewhere in the middle is the sweet spot where we get everything we need. And of course, everyone's genetics is different and the way everybody tolerates different foods is different. So what's right for Kevin might not be right for me, but I think that most people who are researching this stuff can agree that being on either end of the spectrum, we see problems. I think you just hit that right on the head. I mean, there is no single dietary approach for every single person. 
You know, you see the people that are shouting, everybody's got to do carnivore. This is the species appropriate diet, like, and drilling that home. Or the people that say, don't eat animals, you know, you can't eat any of that or incorporate any of that into your, into your plan. That's just not right. There's, there is a happy medium ground somewhere in there where you can find the right blend for you, right? Yeah. We're, we're all biochemically, genetically unique individuals. You're going to respond to different foods and supplements and dietary approaches differently to exactly what Laura is talking about right here. Yeah. Um, sure. So let's even talk, let's talk about some proactive things. Cause I know you're area of expertise is gut health and mm -hmm. energy. Uh, and maybe we can touch on like, why did you decide to kind of have this departure from Western medicine and head into, you know, focusing primarily on functional medicine approach? Yeah. Well, it's like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Right. So once I started studying, uh, functional medicine and seeing that what it really meant to help the body be able to absorb nutrients, to be able to clear toxins, to be able to rid it, to, to support the immune system, to rid itself of chronic infections and to see what happens when you give the body the tools it needs to support and nourish and heal itself. It's extraordinary. And once you start seeing that, that possibility, it was very difficult to have one foot in both worlds. And the other thing that I realized was in, we have this concept of prevention in Western medicine, but truly it, prevention doesn't really exist. It's early detection. So what, what Western medicine is doing is what I would call the early detection model. We're looking for early cancer, early heart disease, early diabetes, early osteoporosis. So we can then give you a drug to prevent worsening of it. But what we're not doing is looking at why did this occur in the first place? And I was completely not on board with any of this um, in the first you know, decade and a half of my career. I really thought the answer to everything was a prescription pad. I really did. I, we didn't spend a lot of time on really supporting a root cause and looking at what's happening that's making the body sick. And so once I started to study the effect of toxins, I mean, pick your toxin, right? Like pick your poison. Um, once I started studying the effect of toxins and what that has on our cells, on our gut, and how much it impacts our ability to stay well, I mean, we cannot, I feel like we cannot ignore anymore as a culture that we are getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And it, it is directly proportional, the level of cancer, the level of autism, the level of Alzheimer's, the level of Parkinson's disease, the level of heart disease, the level of autoimmune disorders. It is directly proportional to the level of processed food we're eating, the level of chemicals that we're using in our farming practices, the level of chemicals that are just sprayed on our furniture and on our sporting equipment and on our clothes and the the containers that we use to hold the food that we buy at the store that has plastics in it that are endocrine disruptors and then the forever chemicals that are the things that just never break down on earth, you know, that are coming from uh, PFOAs and PFAs, the uh, nonstick cookware, for example. Um, you can't ignore this anymore when you can see that it's all directly proportionally related. Our air is toxic. Our water is toxic. Our food is toxic. And we are becoming sicker and sicker. So let's say the, the person listening acknowledges this and they're yeah. like, okay, I understand we live in a toxic world, but where, where do I start? Yeah. 
it's overwhelming, right? Where do you start? Okay, so let's give some pearls of where to start. So here's the deal. Every day you get a fresh start. So if you screw up, you just start again tomorrow. So remember that. And the, the thing I will say first foundationally is perfectionism is not possible. You cannot be perfect in this. I'm not perfect in this. I have my non-negotiables, Kevin. I've got the things, like I do everything super clean, but I still color my gray hair because I don't want gray hair yet. And that's not perfect, right? If I was being perfect about getting toxins out of my life, I wouldn't color my gray hair, but I do. So don't be perfect. Pick your non-negotiable and get everything else cleaned up. So that's what I would say. And then the other thing I would say is that whole concept of Rome wasn't built in a day. I mean, that's an age old thing. That's so true. You cannot clean up everything at once. You have to start a little at a time. So I say, start with replacing products in your home as they run out, as you use up the laundry soap, as you use up the toilet bowl cleaner, as you use up the deodorant, as you use up the toothpaste. So let's just start by looking for healthier, cleaner options. And then, you know, if you go to TJ Maxx or, you know, um, you know, Whole Foods or uh, Home Goods, excuse me, or some of the um, some of the home stores, you can start finding healthier cookware, right? It doesn't have to be the $500 set of stainless steel cookware. You can get it one pot at a time from the home store. You don't have to do it all at once. Cast iron, stainless steel is good to cook in, um, ceramic, porcelain coated, that's going to be much better than the nonstick stuff. So one thing at a time. And then if you focus on one aspect of your health, focus on your gut health, learn something about your gut health, start there because this is, your gut is the tube that goes from mouth to anus. Everything goes in it and everything you don't need comes out it. So start there. It's processing all the food that you bring in. And so work with somebody, Kevin, you have pro in your programs, you help people focus on gut health. I mean, your whole bone program is so all encompassing. You've got a gut component to it. I mean, you're helping people focus on this. So work with somebody like Kevin or like me or like somebody, any functional medicine person you're hearing on these podcasts and summits work with somebody to, to work on your gut health first. I would say start there. That's so important. I mean, we touched on this at the beginning of the episode too. Mm -hmm. But there is a major connection between your gut and your bones. Part of that is if your gut health is not dialed in and squared away and you're not actually absorbing your nutrients, your body's not going to have what it needs to rebuild and become stronger. That's also including your bones, right? But the other part, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and it just sparked a memory in me of something I used to say to people in the bone clinic, in the bone world, your bones are a storage tank for nutrients that if you're not getting them into your body through what you're eating, or maybe you're eating them, but not absorbing, you will rob Peter to pay Paul. You will take nutrients out of your bones to move it to all other areas of the body, calcium in particular, you need calcium for every cellular function in your body. And so when you don't ingest and process enough calcium, you will rob it from your bones. So I'm sorry, I just had to throw that out there. No, that's such important. such an important point. Such an important yeah. point. And the other part of this too, like in terms of its connection to gut health, uh, or our bones connection to gut health, is that obviously you know we have bone marrow that's producing blood cells, and part of those blood cells that are being formed are white blood cells, and the white blood cells are relating to the immune system, right? But guess what is a form of white blood cell? The cells that break down bone. 
So anything stimulating that immune system is going to be speaking to that same language and stimulating those osteoclasts, the cells that break down bone. Where does 70% of your immune system reside? In, in your, your gut. gut, right? Mm -hmm. So that that's why this is so important to focus on your gut health. Mm -hmm. There's a direct communication between the cells in your bones and the cells in your gut, a direct line of communication. And so start there. And then um, in terms of, you know, the toxins that get stored in your bones. So you have toxins stored in your bones, you have toxins. So your body is really smart. It's engineered to protect your vital organs. So your brain, your liver, your lungs, your heart, your pancreas, like without these organs, your kidneys, you will you will not last long, you will die. And so your body is gonna sequester toxins away from those organs and pack them into a safe place. So what's a safe place? Fat tissue, bone tissue. I mean, it's pretty bad to go in bone, but it's not as detrimental as packing that toxin away in your brain, right? So then once you solve the gut problem and once you get your lifestyle pieces dialed in, now you start detoxing out of your cells, your cellular spaces. So your bones are full of cells, right? So you're going to detox out of the cellular spaces, including your bones. And your, your bones will be full of heavy metals, forever chemicals, endocrine disruptors, all of it. Can you touch on why it's important to make, like, what are the detox pathways, potential detox yes. pathways for yeah. toxins? And then why is it important to make sure those are open before yes. you start trying a detox protocol? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This is when, so I learned this the hard way. So early on, remember I came from Western medicine and I, um, and I learned functional medicine, like crash course. Right. And the functional medicine that I studied didn't really put a lot of focus on opening drainage pathways. Um, and so the protocols that I was first running on people early in my functional medicine practice, uh, people were getting a Herxheimer reaction. So that a Herxheimer is when you're pulling out toxins or killing off parasites or bacteria and the die off or the movement of all these infections and toxins is too much for the body and the immune system to handle. So you have a Herxheimer reaction. And that is, it's almost like a flu-like experience where you get body achy, headachy, low energy, nausea, can have digestive symptoms like nausea and diarrhea, and your temperature can go up. I mean, you just feel like you're getting sick. And pretty much if anybody ever makes that happen to you, you're never going to want to work with them again. You're going to feel like, oh my gosh, what did you just do to me? This is awful. I'm never doing this protocol again. Well, also it's hard on your organs when you do that. So that's hard on your kidneys. It's hard on your liver. It's hard on all detox organs. So detox organs include your lymphatics, your liver, your kidneys, your bowels, and your skin also is a detox organ, but we really want to funnel toxins away from the skin. So we want to support liver, kidneys, lymphatics, and move all toxins to the bowels. You should be pooping out your toxins. That's where we want toxins to go, flush down the toilet. We don't want toxins coming out in your urine. We don't want toxins coming out through your skin, through your sweat. A little bit will, but the bulk of it should be coming out through your poop. And that's why we want to open the internal drainage pathways, so to speak, and move everything in that direction so that you can safely detox. Once you have all those pathways open, which in my programs, I generally take people through about four weeks of that before we even start killing parasites, bacteria, or, or doing big movement of toxins. Then you can start bringing in the detoxing and the gut clearing, but you want to support the body first so that you dro drop your energy and get sick during your process.
That is so helpful to understand. And I mean, for anybody that's kind of gone down the path of trying to go down a detox protocol, what Laura's talking about here is so important to do this um, and make sure these are open beforehand. Laura, this has been so informative, so helpful for our audience. I want to make sure they know where to find you if they want to get help uh, for their gut health or for anything else. Where can they reach you at? Well, you can find me at laurafrontero.com. My last name is spelled like the great frontier with an O on the end. <laughs> and I'm also at laura.frontero on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook, but um, you go to my website, you'll find you can download some free resources to support gut health, get rid of toxins. Uh, we've got some support there for you. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and expertise. Uh, I, I, and just for being an awesome, amazing person, I've, I've gotten to know you over these past few years and you're just an amazing resource to have. And uh, for everybody listening, I'm going to leave all of Laura's re uh, resources that she just mentioned down in the show notes. And you can find all the show notes over at bonecoach.com forward slash Laura Frontero, osteoporosis, gut health. I want to thank you again so much for your time. We'll see you in the next episode. Hope you found this episode of the Bone Coach Show helpful. You can find all the resources, show notes, everything mentioned over at bonecoach.com. If you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, be sure to share it with someone you love, a friend, family member, even a group of people. And also be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode that can help you improve your bones, your health, and your future. One last reminder, if you haven't done so already, head over to bonecoach.com for more great resources to help you get on the path to stronger bones and an active future. I'm your bone coach, Kevin Ellis. I'll see you in the next episode.